This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Arkansas for almost 30 years. I started Self Work five years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to hopefully make therapy more approachable, more understandable. And I wanted to reach those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues, maybe in therapy, to those of you who've just been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers or you're having a relationship problem that's just not getting settled. But also to a third group of you that might say to your friends, oh, I'd never darken the door of a therapist, but you're just curious enough or sadly unhappy enough to tune in. I'm glad all of you are here. It's confession time here at Self Work. You know, people ask me all the time, how do you have time for writing or how do you come up with ideas? Well, yesterday I hit a blank wall for this episode today. I'd start writing and then figure out I'd already written on the topic or I'd start something and talk myself out of it. But then I decided to do something I did when I was writing the book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, and I hit just as big a wall, if not bigger. So I'll offer a dozen things for you to do when you hit your own brick wall. I'm always grateful to hear from any of you who write or leave a voicemail as I'm quite honored to be asked questions or for you to respond to something I wrote or said. But this voicemail came in last week and the listener was talking about an interview that I did with Lewis Howes a couple of years ago where he saw another side of me different from his experience here on self-work and on some of the Facebook lives that I've done for the mighty that he's watched and been a part of. I know just the interview he's talking about, and we'll have a clip of that for you in the show notes and the link to the full interview as well. I actually was very grateful for his feedback. So in this episode, sponsored once again by Athletic Greens, let's talk about hitting the proverbial wall. What does it mean when your mind goes blank, when you run out of ideas, when you can't seem to find your focus or even the meaning in what you're doing? So that's the topic for the 260th episode of Self Work. I've seen several endurance athletes in therapy. Sometimes they're there because of a fear of having to stop running or biking or whatever sport they love due to some injury or aging issues. So maybe it's grieving. Sometimes they're there because their passion is sabotaging their family life. So I'm doing couples work as well. And maybe even talking about the addictive aspect of extreme sports. But many of these folks also talk about hitting the wall. Somewhere about two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through their marathon or their race, they typically have to fight even harder than normal to keep going. It's like their mind and body runs out of energy. And it's my understanding that this phenomenon doesn't go away. It can be there waiting for you in every race. So you have to learn to get through it, manage it, get on the other side of it. In fact, of course, I looked this up. And according to the Stanford University School of Medicine, 43% of marathoners are likely to hit the wall during a race. So finding ways to move past those kinds of experiences can have major benefits for an athlete's performance and well-being. 
I'm quoting Dr. Alistair McCormick. He says, might be a she, generalized fatigue, unintentionally slowing their pace, the desire to walk, and shifting focus to just surviving the marathon appear to be particular common features. Dr. McCormick is an exercise psychologist at the University of St. Mark and St. John in England. In the HuffPost article where Dr. McCormick's work was featured, there were four ways of combating this mental and physical battle. First, make a motivational playlist, meaning literally music you play behind your trying to run or jog or bike or whatever it is. Number two is to try the buddy system to have a partner that keeps you motivated and on track. Number three is to visualize achieving your goal. In fact, a study on weightlifters found that mental practice can be as effective as physical practice, resulting in actual muscle increases. Visualizing your if-then plan, for instance, could improve your chance of success. If this happens, then I'll do that. Then the last is try attention narrowing. Runners who focus their eyes on an object in the distance actually get there faster and can make the distance feel shorter, which is sort of psychologically interesting, isn't it? So I looked all that up when I hit my own version of a wall this weekend, and that wall seemed gargantuan. So as I was trying to create the podcast for this week, I hit my own version of a wall. Being the week before a holiday, I saw a lot of patients this week and didn't have time to really think about a podcast. And I'm headed out of town myself, so it was this weekend or no-go. Writing for me is generally energizing as I learn about things and do the research on the topic. But yesterday, I got in a horrible funk. I heard my critical voice saying, none of the topics you're thinking about are good enough. You know, maybe it's time to wrap up self-work. Maybe this was my way of unintentionally slowing down, but with negative self-talk, mind you. I was sabotaging my own desire by saying things like, you know, you need to slow down anyway. You're probably running out of good ideas. Or I'd try the title of a suggestion that a listener had sent and say, well, I don't know anything about that. I shouldn't write about it. So I was really distancing myself from what self-work means to me. And by the way, the stuff about not knowing about it, that's the point. I've settled along that I'm learning along with you listeners. So I shot that down pretty fast. And yes, I'm busy. Many of us are busy. But doing the work of self-work is generally very meaningful, just not yesterday. And even in today, into this morning, as I once again turned to the task of creating an episode, I just didn't have any ideas that were working. I was lost, out of creativity, out of sync with myself, and getting anxious and irritable. So, what do you do when you hit a mental or emotional wall? To answer this, I'll list what I did in the last 36 hours. Because I hit a wall for sure, and it almost stopped me, but it didn't. I want to stress that this is not the same as a struggle with focus in depression or attention deficit disorder. I'm not depressed, nor do I have ADD. This is a common old everyday being down in the dumps, both mentally and emotionally, not able to focus because of inner doubt and criticism creeping into the picture. But before I list my dozen to-dos, I'd love for you to listen to this message from AG1. I've been talking to y'all about Athletic Greens now for a few months as they're our newest sponsor here at Self Work. But they have a new name and spirit. It's AG1. 
Just like with Athletic Greens, you take one tasty scoop of AG1 that contains 75 vitamins, that's 75 minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, which include a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. But Athletic Greens 1 has some really exciting news about the directions they're taking as a company, and I'm proud to tell you about them. Last year, they joined the How to Recycle program. This initiative tells you exactly how to dispose of your products and what goes where. Now, How to Recycle has evaluated all of AG's product packaging, and from their feedback, the company's been able to increase the recyclability of their products, reduce the amount of plastic they're using, and increase their use of recycled content. And they're proud to announce that they've officially committed to become climate-neutral certified and are hard at work looking at all of their 2020 emissions. And last but not least, since Athletic Greens One believes that access to nutrition is a fundamental human right, they're excited to announce a new partnership with No Kid Hungry to help serve nutritious meals to children across the United States. They've committed to donating 10 cents for every Athletic Greens order to No Kids Hungry for an entire year. So to make your ordering easy, Athletic Greens will give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2, which I've learned actually must be taken together to be effective, D3 and K, and I take that every morning, with five free travel packs with your first purchase. Since you're a listener here at SelfWork, and the code is athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash selfwork to take control of your health, and to give Athletic Greens One a try. So here's the picture. It was yesterday afternoon, my time to write, right? (laughs) I tried for about three hours. I looked around for topic after topic, and nothing was working. So I put my laptop on its charger and tried the first step, knowing that I needed to get out of the frustrating, anxious place I was in. First step was acceptance. I had to change my state of mind. I had to change my attitude. It's a decision not to focus on what you wish something was, but to accept that you actually only have control over so much. And wishing something were different, or trying to force it into being different, will not make it different. It's accepting where you are, who you are, and what you can control today. Pummeling myself over the fact that creativity seemed as far away as Jupiter wasn't helping. Now, acceptance isn't resignation. And some of my initial impulses were about resigning, as I said a few minutes ago. Just resigning from self-work. Resigning from something hard. So I stepped away. Even though I didn't know when I'd find any more time to write this weekend, nothing was happening right then and there. Number two, I didn't panic or catastrophize. It really wouldn't have ruined anyone's day if there wasn't a new self-work episode this week. And I'm laughing out loud when I hear myself say that. I had to get some perspective. You know, I was talking with a client this week and she said, well, I wonder if there's something else I could have done. And then she caught herself. Of course, there are other things she could have done. There are always other things we could have done. And she laughed through what were then her tears. Giving yourself a chance to see things in context, to get perspective on maybe what seems awful now, and knowing that you will see it differently in a day or a week or a year. Number three, I trusted my gut. I felt like I needed to get away from the task at hand. My brain was saying, go on, keep on working, keep on working. But my gut said, get away. 
It didn't fit my schedule and it might make the week more hectic. I'm big into time organization because I think I do it well. But if I didn't take a break, then I would just get wound up tighter and tighter. So my gut won out on that decision, which was good. Number four, I breathed. Truly just breathed. I knew if I gave this time, perhaps this is my version of visualization, I could trust that I'd been in this place before and I'd get through it again. Here's number five. I gave myself emotional space. Now, this is tied in with number six that's upcoming, but it's a little different. Giving myself emotional space to do what? I was being so critical and getting madder and madder at myself that it felt like the whole day had somehow become about this one task. No, I was making it that way. It didn't have that power unless I gave it that power. I needed emotional space. And here's number six. I had to use perspective, not in a shaming way, but in a helpful way. People tell me all the time, I can't believe I'm making this a big deal. There are so many other people whose problems are so much worse, being very self-critical and even deprecating. That's, of course, true. There are always people that have it worse than you. But it's also true that what's on your plate will tragically trounce everyone else's at times. It will be your child that's sick or your mother who died. But that doesn't mean you have to constantly compare your pain to others. You can have perspective without shame. Let me repeat that. You can have perspective without shame. Here's number seven. And I think this is a really important one. I became aware of how my self-doubt and insecurity could actually be being triggered by something else that was going on. And it was just showing up in the task of writing my weekly episode. It took a little self-reflection. But when I got a minute and got away from that anxious pace, I sat down to think about what else was going on in my life besides a pandemic, which is hard for all of us, that might make not getting this episode created easily. And sure enough, I found a couple of things. Things that I also felt out of control of that were going on, things I'm concerned about for other people that were tweaking the need for my own life to go smoothly, to be orderly. So that gave my feelings some context and deepened my understanding of my own discomfort and the pressure I was putting on myself. So it's good to look around for other things that might be fueling that anxiety, fueling you not having a perspective, fueling you being more irritated or down or upset than normal. You usually can find a couple of things when you realize, hey, I'm overreacting. So the next thing I did was very practical. I fixed a great bolognese sauce. (laughs) Cooking is what I do to relax. So while I was watching the football game with my husband, I fixed some really good bolognese sauce. I usually don't take the time to shred the carrot and mince the onion just right. Make sure the pasta is el dente. But after all, I had more time because I wasn't writing. I had the time and I appreciated it. What's that saying? One door closes, but a window opens. However, after we ate that bolognese, there were still no ideas coming and it was time to head to sleep. So, my ninth step was I made sure I got enough sleep. I took a little CBD and I tried not to worry because I hadn't done all the things on my list. And I woke up about 2.30 or 3 
And I said to myself, the rest of the night may not be about sleep, but will be about rest rather than freaking out. And a bit later, as usual, I drifted off again. Good sleep is so essential. So here's number 10, which is also going to seem kind of pragmatic. You get out of bed. This is a step because how many times do I hear, it was a bad day yesterday, so I didn't want to get out of bed today. That's what we talked about a couple of episodes ago as negative forecasting or catastrophizing. If yesterday was bad, today's going to be worse. So get out of bed and think about today being a new day. So I exercised and took a shower. I got out in a cool drizzle in the morning and walked a couple of miles while listening to a podcast that I learn a lot and really enjoy. Exercise is, of course, a great way to burn off some energy, whether you simply stretch muscles that haven't been stretched in a while or you do the whole marathon thing. I'm definitely nowhere near marathon status, but I do love my two or three miles. For me, exercise turns off my mind and allows me to get into another whole part of who I want to be. I actually did try to think of a topic while I was on my walk, and still nothing came. But I didn't feel quite as lost as the day before. It seemed like something was percolating. And it's been my experience that if I let something go for a while, then it'll come around. Now, actually, I had some planned time with friends, and I didn't cancel. They are important, and again, it's another time to lend perspective. We FaceTimed with our son. We had a good visit. So when I got home, I sat down and thought, well, what now? I have two hours to write this thing, and I usually give myself at least four or more. And then it came to me. I miraculously put all these things together and began to write about the steps that I'd been through to try to help myself get over that wall. Get over it, through it, whatever works for you. Maybe that was my version of narrowing my vision, as they say for marathon runners, I kept my eye not on each and every word of the episode, but on sharing more of my personal life, and that's not something I do normally. You know, one of the things that is important to me is for us to share the times when we all struggle. You might listen to me on this podcast and think that I always know where I'm going, or I have topics just tumbling around in my head waiting to come out. Most of the time I get a topic either from a question from you or from an experience I'm having with a client, maybe a conversation with them, from something friends are going through, something I hear about on the news or on a podcast. But there are certainly times like the last 36 hours when the thought of needing to create a podcast seems daunting. Oh, now I think there's a 13th step. That step is to let this podcast be without worrying if it's stupid or not research-based so it's not good enough, or boring because I talk about myself, or dumb because listeners are thinking, there are people in the world with real problems, why don't you get a grip? (laughs) That was actually step six, if you remember. All of that critical, sabotaging stuff we tell ourselves. So we can project onto others that their lives are calm and they get their life done seamlessly, but that's not the case. I love the metaphor that the students at Stanford came up with. They call it the Stanford Duck Syndrome. You see a duck floating across a pond and it looks so easy, even swan-like. What you don't see is their little feet furiously paddling underneath. (laughs) So paddle away. You're in good company. And I hope tracing my steps to try to get over, around, through my own wall will help you find yours.
Here's a listener email for today. Kind of an unusual one. Hi, Dr. Margaret. My name is Tom, and I've texted you on one of your live Facebook sessions and feel fortunate to have had some really nice interactions. I just wanted to let you know that I took a look at your YouTube video with a gentleman, and it was called something like the number one way to change your life. And I saw a very different side of you, not different, bad, different, or different for the sake of being a different person, but a little bit more intensity and a groundedness um, that is wonderful and additive to, I think, your persona and what you do in your regular podcast. And it was as sweet and wonderful to me as your Southern lilt. And I share that only because it helps me to see that our presence can change and be different. And as we grow and change and transform, we have many more avenues to find that out and use that for the good of others. Thanks for being you. Take good care. I want to tell you the story of the interview he's talking about on YouTube. I was flabbergasted and honored to be asked by the Lewis Howes team two years ago to be interviewed on his podcast, The School of Greatness, after a perfectly hidden depression had come out. It's an extremely popular show, and so I flew out to L.A. to do it. It was that important to me. I figured he wanted to talk about his own book, The Masks of Masculinity, and compare his thoughts with mine on perfectionism. I'd spent hours poring over his book. The first thing he told me when we met was that he hadn't read my book. So that's what I get for making assumptions. His producer had read it and asked me on the show. Now, frankly, I appreciated his honesty. But what happened the next hour, hour and a half, was that he asked me questions that were much more general but also kind of specific about life change and what causes depression and the origins of shame and what makes therapy work and what did I think was the most important thing I'd leave behind if I could only leave behind one piece of advice. Oh my gosh, my head was going so fast. We were actually in his breakfast room. He was building his own studio, and the L.A. sunshine was pouring through these glass windows. And I was trying not to sweat (laughs) and trying to hold my focus. So that seriousness that this listener heard, I was serious. He was asking very important questions that I wanted to answer as well as I could, and I was uber-focused for sure. But I'm grateful for this feedback. Thank you, Tom. I'm wanting to make self-work and the topics we cover here understandable and approachable. But while I'm doing that, I certainly don't want any of you to walk away feeling as if I discount just how painful life can become. I'll never forget the stories of cruelty, abuse, intolerable loss, and suffering that I've heard. I still see the eyes of those that are battling with suicidal thoughts or painful illness or devastating grief. I can envision them, and so I know that life can be very, very difficult, and mental illness can be so hard to manage. So yes, I may laugh at myself here on self-work, and I can't do anything about what he calls my southern lilt, but what I've been honored to do for a living has brought with it a tremendous amount of respect 
for the burdens that people can carry, people like you and people like me. If you'd like to listen to the Lewis House interview, here's the link, but I've also included just a short clip. Thanks for this email. Thank you all for being here at SelfWork. I will find another topic for next week. In fact, I have some kind of gelling. My book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is available in ebook, audiobook, and paperback. Many of you have said one of the things that you love about self-work itself is that I offer what to do, not just talk conceptually, but what can you do about it, right? Well, Perfectly Hidden Depression has over 60 steps to do just that. It's about trying to release some of the control you're trying to have over your life and become more comfortable with your vulnerability and to have self-compassion. Actually, whether you're perfectionistic or not, I think this is such an important endeavor and can actually make life much more livable. I'm very concerned about the people who are falling through the cracks of our mental health system who would not meet the criteria for depression but are killing themselves as suicide rates and perfectionism rates go up in our culture and internationally. So that is my passion. And if you want to find out more about it, then I hope you'll pick up a copy of Perfectly Hidden Depression. I've also started a new podcast where I'm trying it out. It's on Fireside. So you have to download the Fireside Chat app. But you can do that at firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. That's firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. And you can actually interact with me. If you go to that link, all you have to do is request access to Fireside. You do have to have an iPhone. They're working on Android. And generally, I meet once a week, and we could actually talk with one another. A couple of you have been there already, and I'm delighted to have you there, and I'd love to invite even more. I'd love to get to know you in person. Of course, I also have a closed Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash self-work. My website's drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can subscribe there and get a weekly newsletter with just my blog post and any announcements I might have, as well as the podcast. And you can always email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. Thank you for being here. Please take very, very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.